Hello and welcome to the Who's He podcast with me, Phil. And me, Paul. And on this month's show, we're going to be discussing the uh, Terror of the Autons in uh, celebration of the 50th anniversary of The Master first appearing on our television screens. So we'll be talking about that uh, a bit later. Uh, But first... What's been happening in the news? Now, uh, just after we released our previous uh, episode back in uh, January, uh, the news broke that, uh, well, I say news, we're calling this news, it's rumour at the moment, isn't it? But it was, it certainly picked up traction uh, when it was first reported. But anyway, it's uh, Jodie Whittaker. I was going to say, is this Omega's tittle-tattle? Maybe it is Omega's tittle-tattle. That's a a good one. We'll have to have a, um, a, 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 a little introduction for that next time we do Omega's, Omega's Tittle Tattle. Um, yes, yeah, so <laughs> I like that. It's good. Um, yes, it's now been, it was reported that Jodie Whittaker um, is leaving the role of Doctor Who after the next series. Now, this hasn't been confirmed nor denied by the BBC um, at the moment. They've released no official statement to either effect. Um, but it, it certainly picked up traction um, in the press, and and I basically did that. We, we also I released a sort of a, a short video podcast about this as well, um, all the, the various newspaper headlines and how it's sort of blunt, all, not so out of all proportion, but um, it, it's the it's the usual suspects, isn't it, have been tipped to replace her. Um, yeah, yeah. So like Richard, um, are you OD and? Um, I think Michaela Kyle as well, uh, uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Chris Marshall has now uh, reappeared again um, with the Daily Express. Actually, the Daily Express is actually quite adamant in their reporting, actually, because they actually said Jodie Whittaker will be killed off by the Daleks. Uh, Right. Don't know where that came from. Now they said that um, Chris Marshall was definitely replacing Jodie Whittaker. Sorry, Paul, go on. I was going to say, Daily Express, I'm surprised they're not claiming she's going to be killed off by the royal family. (laughs) Was it in some strange car accident? Accident. (laughs) Um, And then the Daily Express then also reported that Michael Sheen was going to replace uh, Jodie Whittaker. So they're just making stuff up as they go along. However, um, breaking news... um, this evening, as we record, and this comes courtesy of my cohort James um, on the Doctor Who podcast, um, that Jodie Whittaker is now tipped to replace Ralph Little on Death in Paradise, as apparently they, they, the producer are keen to have a female detective. Um, it, it does seem that they seem to be selecting Jodie Whittaker to do female firsts for a lot of long-running BBC television programmes. Yeah. It's all conjecture, rubbish, clickbait, whatever you want to call it at the moment, until that is officially confirmed by the BBC. Um, you have to take everything with a pinch of salt, really, don't you? You do. Yeah. Yeah. But um, but who, who would your tip be, Paul, if you, if you, had, to, if you had to say they, they, were gonna, they, they should be the next Doctor? Who, who, would, you, who would you select or tip, uh... rather? Don't really haven't really thought about it to be honest. I mean, I just I'd actually quite like it to be somebody that I hadn't thought of. Hmm. Exactly. I think this is what and hadn't been mentioned, and let's just you know. Yeah, as a as a complete surprise. I think that I think that's the that's the thing. It's the same old names trotted out. They're you know they're tipped to replace 
the you know the current doctor whoever it might be um and it usually ends up being an absolute load of nonsense. So, because I mean, last time nobody picked Jodie Whittaker, did they? They they had the likes of Phoebe Waller Bridge or Chris Marshall again, Richard Ayoade, uh, um, um, and also who else was it? Um, who's in the Crown at the moment? I forgot the that, the uh, her name, Olivia Coleman. That was it. Or Miranda Hart was another one last time, wasn't it? It's it's all sort of like whoever's popular at the moment are, are tipped mm. to be but to be the next Doctor. So, I think Jodie Whittaker caught a lot of people off guard, didn't it? Didn't it really? It certainly caught me off guard. Yeah. So, oh well, oh well. We shall, we shall see. We shall see. But it's, um, yeah. It's. I think in lieu of proper news, this is this is why we're talking about it. So, but uh, anyway, let, let's go to some some proper news now. Um, now, I think on, the, on our last podcast we um, spoke about um, another. Blu-ray box set release. Uh, it was a John Pertwee second season, season eight. Uh, that is now, courtesy of Amazon, I received an email um, that is going to be uh, delivered now on March the 8th, 2021. Um, so I don't know what it's like for the rest of the world. Some people have said they didn't, they haven't received any emails from, um, from Amazon. So am I the only one who's getting it, perhaps? I don't know. <laughs> They're going to see what your reaction is to it before they send it to everyone else. <laughs> I'd like to think we were that important, Paul, but <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, that's not the case. It's not the case. But uh, but then after that, um, they announced another Blu-ray box set. Um, this time, this is Sylvester McCoy season twenty-four, um, and that um, hasn't got a, um, a release date at the moment. However. When I put in my pre-order for this, it said June 2021. But then I received an update about a week or so later, um, updating the release date, and it's now got nothing. Right. So figure that one out. Figure that one out. But um, but anyway, um, so season 24, this is Sylvester McCoy. Oh, people should know. This is Sylvester McCoy's first season as the Doctor. So we have the classics, Time of the Rani, Paradise Tales, Delta and the Bannermen, and Dragonfire, which we covered rather recently on this very podcast. And we um, we actually quite enjoyed it, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, yes. Um, and if people care to remember, um, many years ago now, we actually did a commentary for Time of the Rani, um, which you had an awful lot of fun with, didn't we? <laughs> yes. <laughs> to put it mildly, yes. <laughs> um Still anyway, we haven't plucked up the courage for the other two. No, we haven't yet. No. <laughs> now, um, apparently, this box it has extended versions of all four stories. Um, oh, that's, that's, that's your... really what I want more of. <laughs> I want more of time with the Rani. <laughs> oh dear, um, it's got rare studio and location footage, over twenty-five hours of raw material never seen before. And including behind-the-scenes footage from the regeneration scene, which is basically Sylvester McCoy in a wig. Um, we have in conversation uh, Matthew Sweet this time into Sylvester McCoy um, behind the sofa, uh, which features uh, Sylvester McCoy, Bonnie Langford, Sophie Aldred, Peter Davison, the uh, ubiquitous Janet Fielding, Sarah Sutton, uh, Colin Baker, and Michael Jaston. Um, and we have um, something called the Doctor's Table. Uh, which features Fester McCoy, Bonnie Langford, Sophie Aldred and Clive Merrison. Um, you've got so, rare gems from the archives, an audience with Lady Stevens, 
Um, so that's a brand new interview with uh, Patricia Quinn, um, who was in Dragonfire. Uh, we have convention footage, HD photo galleries, isolated scores, immersive 5.1 surround sounds. Um, it's the usual goodies, isn't it? Including one of these absolutely yeah. fantastic box sets. Um, it really is. Um, and this time, um, yeah, it, it is the stuff where you you keep the keep the extras and throw away the forties. <laughs> Do you know what? I, I you know, I, it, it, sometimes it is hard to believe that we are big Doctor Who fans because we we. I mean, is I've got to be honest, McCoy's era is not one of my favourite eras of Doctor Who. I didn't really watch it then, and when I no. watched them now, I think I, I that was. Yeah, there was a good reason why I didn't watch them, really. But yeah, I, yeah. I think the more I, I have watched them, they do have a certain charm, I think. And there are there are bits to like in there. You know, I'm not mm. saying, you know, it's uh, they're all absolutely rotten and I'm never going to watch them and slag them off all the time. It's the same with any Doctor Who story. There's always something to like in there somewhere. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's just that um, that was a particularly troubled period in the show's history, that. So, yeah, it's... Um, I think it shows in in some of the stories, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, um, now actually, one thing I was going to mention: um, there's actually been a rather sort of fantastic um, promo video featuring Bonnie Langford as um, as Melanie Bush in a kind of like a Dragon's Den style um, affair, where actors from the from the um, those episodes sort of come and, and pitch something to it in relation to the character they played. Um, right. in, in, those, in those stories so um, and it's quite it goes on for quite some time actually it's not like you know what we had with Katie Manning and with the um, the maggots it was like, a, like it was two to five minutes long wasn't it I mean this goes on for yeah. um, quite some time this one so it's um, I just like the effort they're putting into them yeah to be honest I really do um, so yeah I'm looking forward to this so if it is June as um um, Amazon hinted um, to me originally. Um, we, we, who knows? Who knows? Um, it, it could be could be later in the year. We do know how these uh, these box sets do tend to slip in the schedule, don't they? Yeah. I mean, I was going to say there is a sense that they do need to be putting in the effort because they are asking us to buy them for the second or third time. Oh God, yeah. The thing is, though, I will. I, I will. Yeah. Well, the thing is, though, I I think if there's another sort of technology after after Blu-ray, I don't think I will because I think by the time that comes on, how many of these actors realistically are going to yeah. be left to do? What else is there left to say, really? Because well? I think technology's gone so far and it should stop. <laughs> it should have stopped too when that dog barking into that, into that gramophone as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> <laughs> Should have stopped at his master's voice. That should have been it. Um, no, I, I can't. I mean, the, re, the one of the good things about buying these Blu-rays uh, box is it, it's creating an awful lot of um, space. You can hear the cat meowing at me as well now. Um, it's creating an awful lot of space on my shelf, actually. Um, mm. It's you know, it, it's just um, fantastic space-saving um, releases. They really are. But um, yeah, I'm not going to buy them again after this. It, it's got to be something absolutely bloody fantastic to make me want to do it again. Seriously, hmm. but uh, how many of these have you actually bought so far, Paul? Any of the, the Blu-rays? Have you dipped your toes no. in those waters yet? No, not, <laughs> at, not at all. <laughs> nah. 
Oh, there. You should do, really. There, there is some good stuff on there. There's some very good yeah, stuff. Um, uh, yeah. Um, oh, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, um, so that that's that for, for that. But um, we do have, and I'm very, very sorry, we did threaten this in the last episode, actually, if, if we got these figures. But yes, I'm afraid it's time to make a, another return to Omega's Stats Corner. <laughs> Yes, the reason we've done this because the official ratings for Revolution of the Daleks are in. Um, and the final rating is 6.25 million viewers. Um, so that takes into account all those recorded the programme and watched it within one week. Um, so now that was, or makes it, the top rated BBC One programme from New Year's Day. Um, it actually beat EastEnders, which had 4.36 million, and Mrs Brown Boys... Brown boys, <laughs> Mrs. Brown's boys, a slip of the tongue there, uh, with 4.87 million. Um, but overall, Doctor Who was second for the day with only Coronation Street beating it um, with 6.39 million. So there wasn't a lot in it, actually. No. Really wasn't a lot in it. Um, yeah, that's what we say. Doctor Who is back. Is, is the interest back? Who, who is it? Was it the Dalek effect? Who knows? Actually, or was it because there was just so little on television that television. day? <laughs> they just couldn't. No one could go out, could they? On New Year's exactly. Eve. Exactly, it was it a was. captive audience, <laughs> wasn't it? <laughs> oh dear, but uh, no good news. Nevertheless, actually, hmm. uh, it's good to see it sort of taking a um, like a, a, a top two spot there. Actually, for overall, that was that's really good. That was really good. But uh, there we go. So we shall um, we shall leave Omega's stats corner now and, and wrap up this news item because now uh, next we're going to be discussing, but well yeah, let's say it's, it's the fiftieth anniversary of the Master, so that's what we're uh, we're just talking about: Terror of the Autons in its televised and uh, written formats. So for another month, then that was the news. everyone we're gonna discuss terror of the autons right now in celebration of 50 years of the first appearance of the master on our tv screens uh but before we get going let's listen to a little clip who the heck are you well i am usually referred to as the master oh is that so universally mm. well i am luigi rossini internationally and conjurers i don't need okay Unfortunately, I need you, Liu Russell. What did you call me? Liu Russell. It happens to be your real name. Now listen, mister. Get off my pitch while you're still safe. Uh, you insolent primitive. Oh, so you want it the hard way, do you? Right. <laughs> Okay, right. So, um, Paul, it's your turn to kick off proceedings this month, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So, um, what do you think revisiting this uh, this story? Um. Yeah, I like the story. Uh, first, first things first. I actually, the book compared to the TV. So I read the book. Tend to, when we do these, I tend to read the book first. Mm, yeah. And then watch the 
TV episode. No, I didn't think the book was that actual, giving that much extra to this story. Until I actually watched the TV programme, which then felt like it was a slightly badly edited version. (laughs) (laughs) I do know what you mean. I do know what you mean. There's... um... Obviously, the, the the target book um, is written by Terence Dix, based on the the Robert Holmes um, script. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, as usual, with, with this is one of this is why I like Terence Dix, and I think this is why we sort of always sort of sort of fall back on on him really and hold hold him up as a, as a paragon of virtue really because he does expand on characters like he did with uh, Rossini um, at the beginning. Yeah. As well about you know, the you know the, the state of his, you know how his circus was like falling on hard times, and um, it was lucky they managed to get this this particular pitch they're on at the moment. Because I think it's only because some other circus fell through. It was something something yeah. like that. Um, also, a little bit more and and how he was um, cheating all the the other members of the circus out of their money. Yeah, exactly. Well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also the the, the master. Um, in this it's sort of more is it's all more sort of internal monologues um yeah and sort of what you sort you know, heard him say on the screen it gave a bit more what was actually going on in, inside his mind when he was saying it um and he was sort of contradicting himself when he come across as sort of rather calm and collected and he, he wasn't yeah. internally at all he was actually angry yeah. um if the doctor yeah. got away with it yeah. for argument's the, the sake in a rage and yeah yeah, in it. Um, but I've, I've got to say that the the novelisation of Tale of the Autons, it, it's it's it holds a special place in my heart, really. This because this was the very first Target novel novelisation I read, right? Um, when I sort of pulled it out of the the library all those years ago, um, and it's one of those things because that was it. That, that to be honest, until this was released on DVD. The um, novelisation was my only way into into this story. Yeah, really. And I think the watching it, it was a big disappointment compared to the book. Yeah, I mean, as, as we've always said, we te- we tend to get the scriptwriter's view of this, don't we? Because when when we do that, how they must have felt when they saw the televised version of their script. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I think it was the. It's particularly. Uh, I'm not skipping right to the end here because uh, the the book. Um, I think it actually gives it away um, on the front cover of the book as well. You've got this alien creature, this one-eyed, tentacled, clawed, spider-like thing. That's how it's described in the book as well. Um, and back in these sort of early novelizations, you got little sketches, didn't you, of certain scenes? So you've yeah. got that that thing by the. Um, uh, by the radio telescope place, you then you've got the doctor pulling the mask off the policeman in the police car, um, you know things like that. Um, but in, I mean, tell of the, the televised version at the end, you just got this white blob between the radar dishes, and it's it's. I think having read the book first, I'm expecting to, I was expecting to see that, and I didn't, yeah. and I was so disappointed because even. Um, Spirit from Space managed, managed to conjure up a tentacled monster, didn't it? So, yeah. <laughs> I went, I went, I went, that was just at John Pertwee's request, though. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. But, um, yeah, and I think the um, one thing that the book also does is it downplays 
the third doctor's pomposity quite a bit. Yeah. Um, cause it, it removes that ham fisted bun vendor line. Does it? That's in the TV series. Yeah. There's, um, um there was other bits as well now, and I should have made a note of it. And I am confident I'd remember where they're much more relaxed to a much more, uh, friendly attitude to Joe on other stuff. I think it was actually around the, the bomb and the being hypnotised. Yeah, it does come across better in the book. I mean, they don't... They do... Um... Oh, no, I know no, what actually, it was, actually. Do... I know what it was. It was um, it's when Joe... When the master turns up in there in the doctor's laboratory and Joe says about, oh, it's too late, too late now, they're going to bomb it. And the Doctor goes, no, Joe. Yeah. To say, you shouldn't have told him. Yeah. Where that actually doesn't happen in the book. And it's actually more... Right, because actually, it doesn't make any difference anyway. Because if actually the Doctor was trying to stop... Trying to get in contact with the Brigadier to stop them from bombing anyway. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And Joe saying that actually meant that the Doctor didn't kill them there and then and took them with them. So... Mm. Yeah, it's um, and actually, obviously, the other um thing that they could do in the book, but obviously not realised on television, was the Devil Doll, um, which in the book is a lot more scarier than yeah. than I know there was there was a lot of complaints at the time about this this doll that woke up and killed um killed um Farrell Senior, um, yeah, but the book version. It it sort of scuttles around everywhere, doesn't it? It's like a little, it is like yeah. a little, like a like a devilish imp, yeah, scuttling and hiding and and, and leaping out and things like that. And, and again, um, in the uh, the doctor's laboratory, um, when they when they wake up with the uh, the heat from the Bunsen burner, but in in that when yeah. Mike Yates shoots it, it's still the bits are still moving about. As well, which again you you just couldn't realise on a BBC budget of nineteen seventy one, could no. you? No, but actually getting back to the book and the and the Devil Dog, where when actually the doctor goes to interview the widow, yeah. that scene is very much better in the book. Oh god, yeah. Because he almost has to drag it out of her that she she saw the doll scuttling away. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's um yeah. It's a t- I'll say typical Terence Dix, but it's what you come to expect from Terence Dix. Really, is is to sort of fill in the fill in the blanks, as it were. Maybe maybe that maybe they got lost to due to editing or um, say stuff they just couldn't get away with on screen at the time. And they, and they did yeah they did push it. I think in this one, um, because I think again there were not just complaints about the the Devil Doll, but also. The um, the daffodil spraying that over jo- the, the the plastic over Joe's nose yeah. and mouth, um, which again I think were were sort of like, you know you get children to put plastic bags over their faces and I couldn't I don't know you kind of see that I suppose really but surely it's more of a warning. I, I would have thought so exactly exactly. Um, actually, the other thing as well was was the. Um, Ah, uh, the character's name uh, played by um, Harry Taub um, on the screen. I can't think. McDermott. That's it. Um, yeah. Yeah, McDermott with the uh, with the chair because again, when the master comes in with that, it's just like a, a like a blob of plastic he's got that he throws down 
and then it turns into a chair, doesn't it? It's all a bit more... The way it's described in the book, it does feel more alive. Again, it's difficult to realise on a BBC budget in 1971. Um, but it's all the thing that like it, it was cold and clammy, and it sort of. It, um, McDermott like, was weary, wary of it in the book. Exactly. Sit down. Yeah. Whereas in the TV, he just sort of plonks himself down almost, doesn't he? As if. Yeah, it's precisely. Um, and then pulls it over his own face. So. <laughs> But I think that was another thing that people complained about, or, or probably Mary Whitehouse, God knows, uh, complained about. But um, yeah, it's it just—I think it's just like those things that, that obviously are going to improve in the book because you know there's no budget to hold you back, is there? No. Or, or, or technology there, there was, to hold you back. There, there was also I mean, little little things like actually the fact that to, which they didn't do bothering the TV and they just still had handguns in the TV. Yeah. But the fact that in the book, they were talking about how they was more heavily armed, having fought the Altons before and realising that normal guns were ineffective. Pretty, yeah. yeah, yeah. That they was coming with, you know, machine guns and grenades and whatever, and they'd made sure that they was equipped that way. Yeah, well, yeah, well and truly tooled up, basically. Yeah, precisely, yeah. precisely. Yeah, which sort of made sense to it as well. And then we sort of watch it on the TV and you think, well, yeah, this just says that they're not lo- watching the TV, that they've not learnt anything. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I think the, um, obviously the other um, thing is, what, is the battle at the end. Um, because the, you just get on the TV, you get the, the audience just sort of marching towards them. Um, but in the book, it, it's much more of a, a battle in, in like a forest, really, isn't it? Um, yeah. It's always, it's actually a lot more exciting in the, in the book than what you see on on, on television. Um, and the way the master um, escapes at the end because he, he gets away with two other autons, does it to, to to protect him? Yeah. Um, rather than he him just um, sort of disappearing in the in the midst of it all, they actually see him leave with two autons. Um, but then also when he returns with, with Rex Farrell it, it, in the book, he's attended to by. Um, sort of medical people in, in the back of the um, in the back of the coach. I mean that's also good in the book actually because it does it does sort of you know say that there are casualties to this. Yeah, which the TV is just you know you see a couple of people fall over, um, and that's it. Whereas you know you do sort of get the fact that yeah this is this has actually been a really heavy battle. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I and think there's been casualties. There, yeah, I think that there's that scene. You know, I, I think I'll come to that later when we start, actually start discussing the master and yeah. uh, and Roger Delgado. I think actually because that's the you know the main that's the main reason why we selected this story because it, it's we sort of you know it's, it's the fifth anniversary. This is his first appearance, um, and I think you know Roger Delgado is the he's, he's seen as the ultimate master, isn't it? Like like Jeremy Brett is seen as the ultimate Sherlock Holmes. Um, yeah. You know, so um, to, to a lot of people, some people would, would disagree with that, but um, the sort of general consensus, it's it's Jeremy Brett. But um, yeah, I mean, as an introductory story to Joe Grant, um, I feel she comes off better in the book, yeah, than she does on in the te- televised version. Certainly, I mean, I mean, certainly the the whole thing about her going to the factory, mm. it's the fact that actually she does realise there's something. Wrong. She puts two and two together as the the fact that they've not told her the truth, so yeah. it goes back. 
Yeah. But all right, you can say she shouldn't have gone back, she should have called in. But the, the other people, obviously, that are sent by unit later on don't. No, that's right. That's right. She's, she's certainly a lot more um, sort of industrious, isn't she? Yeah. In this. Um, and it's all like, obviously, she, she, she's just been appointed to unit and she feels that, like she's got something to prove. Yeah. So, um, well, uh, her, I mean, I think her, she, she's very conscious of her first encounter with the doctor has ended in disaster. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you do get that. But it's also at the beginning as well, she, she knows, um, again, it's more to do with building up Joe Grant's character um, of her sort of nervousness about meeting the doctor. She's heard so much about him. Um, so, you get this sort of little sort of preamble to her just turning up and ruining the Doctor's experiment. Yeah. So, um, and he's, a, as I say, they, they dropped the ham-fisted bun vendor um, line from that particular scene in the book as well. And the Doctor comes across as a lot, as I say, that they sort of, he's less pompous in the book than he is, or patronising as well, which is another word I should use, um, than he is in the, in the televised version. Because they, I think yeah. this story, this is where they, the third Doctor's character does change from the previous series. Do you, yeah. do you feel that? Um, to a certain extent. I think I've got to probably start watching them a bit more in order to to get my head around that, I think. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I, I just feel that this is this is where it, it sort of starts, the Doctor becomes sort of pompous, really. And I don't know if, it, if it's to show a more sort of a passage of time between like Liz Shaw leaving and, and Joe Grant starting. Um, I've, I've got no idea in how the relationship between the Doctor and the Brigadier, or, or Doctor and Unit full stop really, has evolved and changed. Um, he's more critical of them. But I just find that the Doctor from this series forward, and I, I love John Pope's Doctor, as everyone knows, he's my favourite Doctor. Um, but I can see why people don't like his incarnation because he is very, very patronising. You know, extreme I mean, at, that, at certain, certain that, points. I mean, there also may be a case in that, in the fact that you then give him someone like the master to play off through, yeah. obviously, through this series, which then you want to then highlight the superiority of them two over the the humans that are co-actors um, to it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Not, yeah, I do know, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Um, I talk about sort of... Like, Again, before we move on to Roger Delgado, that's at co-actors. Um, obviously, now we've got Mike Yates here as well. Um, obviously, sort of set up as the the love interest for Joe Grant, offering, offering to make a cocoa the military way. That's got to be a euphemism. Yeah. Um, obviously, John Levine gets more of um, more of sort of screen time this time as well. Um, Nicholas Courtney. Um, I'd say this is the this is the beginning of the unit family to front of a you know yeah. A, a better description. Um, I mean, Nicholas Courtney is just as brilliant as as ever, really. I, I don't think you can say there's anything you 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 can't like about about Nicholas Courtney, to be honest, as the brigadier. No, I really don't. Um, yeah, it's no. This this is it. This is sort of the, the you know the, the beginning of, of of another sort of you know like a, a golden period for, for for early Doctor Who. It really is, but. Um, but yeah, talk, talking of the unit family, sorry. Yeah, go on. Go on, Jim. Highlight of the TV episodes for me, having read the books. Yeah. Is having read the books about unit 
bombing everywhere in jeeps. <laughs> you suddenly realise what they're using on the TV. An Austin 1100. <laughs> yeah. It's not quite the same image. It's not really, is it? Let's let's be perfectly honest. Um, yeah. Austin cars in the 1970s did not have a good reputation, did they? <laughs> Well, I don't know. I mean, it's just the fact that you don't expect soldiers to go to war in Austin. In an Austin. <laughs> Hang on. Bring, bring in the heavy infantry in the Vauxhall Viva. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, cry. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. It's sort of... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, when when your when your heavy gun carries is actually an Austin Allegro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. so I could sit here all night ratting off crappy Austin cars. Are really good. <laughs> you know, surely it couldn't have been that much to get an old Land Rover. <laughs> I exactly, exactly. Um, well, actually, for- the way the way the way BBC got hold of cars in them days. Actually, it probably didn't surprise if they actually asked for a Land Rover and that's what they were sent. Oh, more... Yeah, probably. Yeah. Because basically the professionals, they tended to get whatever they was given. Yeah. Which is why Doyle always seems to have a different car. Every other... Every every other week, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, was it Triumph? Triumph Dolomite. Then it was a Ford Escort. They yeah, might be back TR7. to the Dolomite. TR7, yeah. They managed to give him an old E-Type at one stage. Oh, I don't remember that. Crikey. Uh, then you had the Escort RS, didn't you? That's right, yeah. And obviously a, a selection of Capris, but yeah, no, it was just... Hmm. I did like the Escort. I saw we're going way off top, but I did like the Escort yeah. RS, actually. Yeah. That was that was a nice yeah. nice car. But, uh... Yeah, but, but it was just, yeah, just as I say... As TV, I think programs and the beat and and basically they just sort of used to go to the car companies, didn't they, and say, "Oh, we we do a deal. We'll use your cars." Yeah, that's it. That's it. Um, yeah, and I think the British car companies just think, "Well, we'll just send them whatever this week. Whatever we've got spare, we'll send them this we'll just week." Send them along, no, yeah. There was no continuity at all. No, it wasn't. Well, you think at the state of the British car industry in the nineteen seventies, you can see why this this it, it, yeah. it, it, it probably actually happens at the fact that that no two cars went worked over two weeks. I don't know. <laughs> Oh dear, the late lamented British car industry. Right, right there, summed up in five minutes. <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, um, yeah, back back to um, back to terror, terror of the autons. Um, yeah, I suppose. Uh, uh, yeah, I I just like this story anyway. I think I think it's a good follow up um, to 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 this story uh, to to uh, Spirit from Space. Actually, um, it's a good way to kick off the kick off the series. Um, now, do you think it's it's a good introductory story for the master? Because obviously that's that's what we're really here to talk about, isn't it? Um, yeah, I think it probably is actually because it stops. It doesn't necessarily make, although he is the the main villain, mm. and is 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 has more screen time than anybody. Mm. It doesn't make him actually the almost the centre of the story. Which allows you to build him rather than him having to. You don't really have to explain what he's trying to do because it's there in the. You know what he's trying to do. Yeah, exactly. I think it's. Um, 
I mean, when he's fleeting, sort of, a, it, I mean, it gets very little screen time with, with John Pertwee um, in this story, actually. Um, yeah. And as far as the Doctor's concerned, he's, the Master's almost like a, a spectre that sort of drifts in and out. Um, and it's not really until the end where the Master actually goes to the unit with the intention of killing the Doctor, when it goes back to that scene you were saying about Joe giving the game away, about bombing the, uh, yeah. the coach. Um, that's the first time you wait to episode four, basically, before they actually meet face to face. Yeah. So, um, and it but is quite good. good. They, they, they don't rush there. it, do they? No. No. No, even, even even in the TV version, they don't rush it. No, they don't. They really don't. Um, I think... Because, 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 really, the Doctor isn't necessarily dealing... The Master is actually more concerned with the Doctor than the Doctor is almost with the Master. The Doctor's really concentrating on the nesting and the Autons. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's just really the Master's just the one that's allowing them to... To create problems. Exactly. Well, it is. I mean, if you go, obviously, one of the scenes we, we missed actually was the, uh, the the other time lord that appears floating in midair as, as the, the you know yeah. the the, the, the arch- excuse me archetypal city gent. Um, yeah. At that point, when he because he's, he's just there to warn the doctor that the master is on Earth. Um, and at that point, the doctor is very very dismissive of him, isn't he? It comes back to what yeah. you say. He, he didn't really. He wasn't worried about the master at all. He's, as you say, he's more worried about the nesting. So even at that point, when he was yeah. warned. It was like, well, you know, I can't remember the exact words, but he was, um, yeah, as I say, just very dismissive of of his abilities and, yeah. and everything. Um, even though he came... called him a plodder, didn't he? Really? Yeah, exactly. Than... Yeah, was it an, an unimaginative plodder? Wasn't it? Was his? Yeah. Um, it was his term. But um, yeah, I, I think the, I mean, Delgado. Um, Obviously, it's probably easy to say. I, mean, I wonder if we'd be saying this if he was the second master, for argument's sake. Um, yeah. It's up with Bond, isn't it? Everyone picks Connor as their favourite Bond because he happens to be the first, I think, really. He just associated then, with the role, you know. But then, having said that, I probably can remember it, but not to the extent that I probably grew up more with Anthony Ainley rather than... Well, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, From a I television my, period. I mean, we've I mean, talked was, about the fact that this is, you know, we, we didn't really get... Our memory of this is, is, is what is not really there, is it? Because it's... No, it's not. It's before, um, our, it's before yep. our time, really. We're live, but we're not necessarily picking no. and choosing what we're watching on the telly at this stage. No, exactly. I, I think my first knowledge of the master, um, I think, really came from Doctor Who magazine. Yeah, I think I think it was the first edition um, where they had quite a big feature about John Pertwee, and that's why that's why I first read the, the description of his of his tenure as the James Bond style action, um, yeah. and it had like a picture of Roger Delgado as the master, and that was my first image of him. But I, I've no absolutely no recollection of watching what on television because my, mm. my first memory of watching, as I said many many times, of watching Doctor was was the Green Death. But by that time, Delgado had gone. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, and it so wasn't... really, I don't, I don't think, I don't think it's because he was the first, because it, he probably wasn't actually our first visual sighting of the master. Well, no, I think well, our first visual sight of the master would have been Peter Pratt. Yeah, in the Deadly Assassin, that would have been our first um, view of him on television. So yeah, it, it wasn't. I mean, obviously, reading the the, the Target books as a child, I, I obviously knew more about the master then when I started reading 
those stories, but I wasn't certainly wasn't. But you, aware do, you of... don't you don't get you don't get the 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 actor's performance. No, do you? I was just about to say, yeah, you you've got no idea how Delgado played it. But obviously, you, no. you're reading it in in your own way in your mind, aren't you? So yeah, um, you interpret and it now, now, in your own and way. And now, when I read them back now, I've got his image in me head anyway. So I've, you know. And his, and his voice as well. It's all, yeah. it's all there, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no. So, I, so I, I don't, I, I don't think it's just because you know he was the first uh, one to play it because it, to us he wasn't. I mean, I can understand if it had we been born ten years earlier. Yeah, then he'd have been the first master, and that we mm. that may be hard for us to make that di- distinction as to whether it, whether we, whether we feel he's the best or we just we think he's the best because he was the first. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. It's um, it's, it's weird actually because I, I I always associate him as the master. Um, yeah, always. Um, and I think yeah. it's, a lot of it's down to, well, I think really the way he was written initially, um, as that foil to you know the, the Moriarty, um, yeah, to, to Holmes basically. Um, and it's all and a lot of it is purely down to Delgado because he's just effortlessly, um, effortlessly, say it again, effortlessly. Um, suave and smooth, and very occasionally lets yeah. the mask slip, which, yeah. which is what I like. Um, and I think that's what it comes back to in the book. His mask never slips, but internally, as you say, it's the rage, yeah, at being outwitted, you know. So, um, and even sort of come towards the end, um, it's it, certainly more in the book than it is, um, in the televised version. Even the autons are running out of patience with the master. Yeah, because he's, he's got into his. They feel he's just holding his own little vendetta. Yeah, with the doctor that's put them all at. Yeah, exactly. Risk. Yeah, exactly. So it's um, no, I, I do like it. It, it. It's to be honest, the the book and the TV show, they they're kind of similar with with the way the masters are the sort of written for the screen, written for the book. Um, I think it's just that the the book just. As we said, it just expands on that in a yeah. rage. Yeah, there, there, there's no, there's no. I mean, some, some, some of the books you read and you get a whole new, basically, view of the, of the story. Yeah, this follows the story pretty much straight. It's beat it for just, beat, basically, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It just fills in. You just get the odd line. It's just even like you know the odd couple of lines here and there after an incident or before yeah, an incident. Yeah, it's, it's the odd that line sets bit, it up. Yeah, a bit more characterisation, which Terence Dix yeah. is, is well known for. Um, yeah. Doesn't I don't. I, it, I, I, it's, I, it's, I, go on, sorry. I mean, because it's not a long, it's not a long book. It, you know, and I, I know target books aren't, but some you do get the odd one that. That goes to the hundred and sixty pages or whatever. Yeah, this yeah. isn't, but it just does. It does fills in the necessary gaps to makes it more enjoyable. Exactly. He was. Um, I mean, Terence Dix was sort of very economical. I feel with um, expanding sort of characterization or, or or certain plot beats or whatever. But when you're where... a kid, that's what you want. You don't want anything heavy yeah. and in depth. That because when you're no. a, they're aimed at children, um, those books, um, and we're still reading them in our fifties, you know. Um, but they're yeah. predominantly written for children, and I read them as a child, and 
and to me they were they were just the perfect books to pick up out the library a because i love doctor yeah. who it was the only route into seeing that or, or knowing anything about the old episodes that were never been either wiped or just never been re sort of re-shown on television um so i think that the the, the target books were were everything yeah, I mean, I can still remember the shelf what shelf though was in in the library. <laughs> you know, I, 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 mean, I don't remember which shelf. Up, I, I, if you opened up that, if you opened up the old Lewisham library now yeah. and had it all laid out as it was, I could probably walk in there blindfold and pick up a Target book. Bloody <laughs> hell! I, I can remember which side of the library it was on, but the library, um, my local library's changed. Now the yeah. layout's completely different, um, but I can remember on the old layout. I can remember which side. The the yeah. um the the sci-fi books were so I used to I I used to spend so much time sort of like um sort of picking out and I actually sort of really did um delve into the Pertwee era um at that stage yeah. so I read a lot of um stuff about the, the third Doctor Joe and the Master um and I think that's probably why um even though I've not seen any any of those characters on television. Um, yeah. Apart from that, that distant memory of watching the Green Death, um, I think that's why I love that period because that's those are the target books that I read, and yeah, and again it comes back to that characterisation of the master that he he was my master even though it was just in book form at that particular point. Yeah, yeah, so, <laughs> we didn't have the internet, did we? We didn't, we didn't, <laughs> or, the, or the luxury of uh, Blu-rays and DVDs and. Uh, oh. Yeah, you, no. you, you, you kids, you're spot rotten. I'm telling you. <laughs> um, so uh, getting back to well, getting back to the story, getting back to the book of that. Interesting yeah. things about the fact that he had um, the professor Phillips dressed as a clown in the book. Yes, that you don't get in the TV. No, I, I was gonna. I was going to say. So I was this... reading that, and I was thinking to myself, I can't remember that. No. Um, oh yeah, that does not appear in the, in the TV version at all. Um, and even the fact that the... the master made him actually go into the ring and be humiliated. I was going to say uh, this, this. This I was, I was going to get to because that bit at the end as well, where um, well, I was, I was saying earlier when Farrell in the book was being had uh, just been attended to by the like, medical, like the ambulance people. Um, and he's left recuperate in the back seat of the of the coach, and then he just aware of this. He's got his eyes closed, and he's sort of getting over his ordeal. Then he sort of he with his eyes closed, you can feel a shadow looming over him. It's the master. Um, yeah. And just like, I have one final use for you before I release you, and basically just send him out to die. Yeah. Um, and I I couldn't I work the, out whether the, that the was ca- better than just the master running out, which you get in the TV. Which is obviously um, foul. Yeah, yeah. Or well, the fact that you get pre-warned. Well, I think, I think it in it, the book, it it's a double-edged sword that one. I feel because yeah, yeah. It, it's that it's that that shock of realizing it's not the master because at that time we didn't know he was going to appear. But imagine you watching that in 1971. You didn't know the master was going to appear in, in, for the rest of that series at that point. No. Um, so you thought, oh, he's been shot dead, and then you realise it's actually Farrell in a mask, and the and the master yeah. lives to lives to fight another day. So, um, so it it kind of ruins that reveal. But I think uh, uh, at the same time, it's just it's just yeah, 
it, it, it just shows the master. The master in the book it, is a total yeah. bastard. He really is. Yeah. Yeah. He really is. Um, he he is. Um, yeah, evil. Really. He, as you say, he he humiliates that that professor dressed up as a clown. Um, he will not let Farrell go and, until he's dead, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think he's he's an utter utter swine and a cad um, in the book, and it only you only get sort of like um, and as we said before, he's he's seething all the time, basically. Yeah. Um, underneath that that cool exterior, um, but there's that. That bit at the end when he's he's climbing up the, and this is in, in the televised version where he 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 basically he kills that innocent man on on the on the stairs leading up to the yeah. um to the dish, um and the way Delgado sells it is this vi- is this vicious look on his face, as he just hits this guy and sends him over the railings and, pl- and plummets to his death. Yeah, um, I, I didn't expect Spike Milligan to get up at the bottom. <laughs> Dressed as Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but that's in the, in the televised version. That's the only sort of hint you get that he is sadistic. Yeah, I feel. Um, may, maybe when he um, I can't think of the um, is it Googe the one he he, he miniaturizes and puts in the lunchbox. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah that that's. Sort of quite unnecessary what he does there, really, isn't right. it? Actually, also getting back to the book, actually, you get the sort of needle between Phillips and Googe as well at the beginning of the book, don't you? You don't get on screen. No, because Phillips is isn't he sort of man of oh, the man's always complaining about his lunch or the set or the sandwiches yeah. his wife has made him, and then it leads into the, oh, not the egg again. Um, yeah, yeah. And whereas, and obviously, Googe doesn't just feels he's a. He's this sort of I don't know whether he feels he's 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 over promote Phillips's you know because he's background or whatever yeah and his education is you tell you feel he's slightly more than Gouge feels that Phillips is going to be a, a more of a high flyer than him yeah yeah exactly yeah it was um yeah again it's that little bits of characterization even though they're, they're basically yeah. killed off in a couple of paragraphs uh, or yeah. Gouge's anyway um. I, I think it's just good they they include that sort of characterisation. Yeah, and it just, yeah. just makes you. I mean, you're sort of more into the the characters then, don't you? You yeah. feel more for the characters when that. Yeah, happens. exactly. Um, actually, actually while, uh, while we're talking okay. about that bit, yeah, about the this is <laughs> my my one point of being. Yes, I know it's a story, <laughs> and I should just let it go. <laughs> right, they know. That both the Phillips and Googe have disappeared. Yes. How do they know that if no one's been up to the cabin at the top? Because if anyone had been up to the cabin at the top, they'd have triggered the bomb anyway. I know. Yes, that that is a little bit of a plot hole, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And it's only small, but it's like, yeah, it's there in the book, and it's this, it's there in the team. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I. Because I must admit, it was like a week, couple of weeks back since I'd watched it and read the book as well. Um, what I can't remember how Rossini is written out of this, the circus owner, because he just sort of disappears, doesn't he? Yeah, they don't. They don't necessarily go back to the circus, do they at all? No, they don't. I mean, the TV actually go into more detail on that in the fact that the circus has moved on. Yeah, 
Um, and just left the car. Yeah, I, I, it just seems weird that the, 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 the master's got that hold over um, Phillips, makes him dress as a clown, and then basically sends him out to his death as well, basically. Um, but then he kind of lets Rossini go. Yeah. Well, Unit, yeah, in the book, I don't think... The book, yeah, nothing, nothing happens. The, once the circus is, is, is sorted, it's... Been Served its, its purpose, it's yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. It goes. I mean, in the TV, the least unit, there's there's mention that they've they've rounded up and arrested all the circus mm. people. Yeah, it's just it, it sort of fizzled out that bit, didn't it? Really, they sort of setting Rossini up as a as the master's right hand man, and it just sort of sort of fizzles out somewhat. But um, I just remember another difference um, actually between the book and the televised version is when when the um, Rossini captures the Doctor. Um, and he's got the, the strong man played by um, Roy Stewart, um, yeah. sort of putting the squeeze on the doctor. And in the televised version, obviously the doctor's in pain, where this this strong man sort of sort of grabbed all of his arms and everything. But in the book, the doctor doesn't flinch at all, does he? It's having no effect no. on him whatsoever. Um, and he's a lot more flippant he's, in that situation. He's using all the tricks he knows to. Yeah. Which, to be honest, is more Pertwee, if or more Third yeah. Doctor, really. So, what does he tenses up all his arms so that actually the strong man can't actually do? Can't do anything. Yeah, yeah. There's no effect on him at all. Um, yeah, yeah. Which I, yeah, I, I yeah, I, I feel that again, the book was superior <laughs> to TV and the version, fact that but, and um, the fact that Joe then actually watches and works out that who's left. Yeah, I yeah, think exactly. it's so good in that. In the book, yeah, it's yeah, it is. Um, yeah, I mean, yet again, the target novelization is superior. I think the the characterization of all characters is better in there, um, particularly the master. Um, he, yeah, so he's a lot more sadistic in the book, um, but it doesn't take away anything from Delgado that the first appearance of him on on television. Um, it's a it's a fantastic character. It really is. Yeah. Yeah, it really is a fantastic character. Um, we everyone really can argue bur- he bursts in fully formed, doesn't he? He does. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, maybe everyone argues now. Maybe it was a mistake to have him feature in every story um, of that season. Um, however, you can see why they did it because they had such a fantastic actor in Roger Delgado there, and they dreamt up a fantastic character as well. Yeah. They really did. And now, of course, so, now well, we don't. Now we don't have to watch them in order. Of course, it just means there's much more of him. Yeah, precisely. Which obviously, if they'd rationed his appearances in the earlier series, he wouldn't have been around to do the later ones anyway. No, precisely, precisely. So it's, pre- so, it's, it's probably a good thing it, it worked out like it did. Yeah, to be honest. So uh, historically, for us, it's been. Yeah, it was a good thing. So as we're sort of talking about you know the master, we you know we, we talked about this is his debut story and everything. Um, so very briefly, so over the over the years, do you feel that the character's been served that well since? Really, because I mean, Peter Pratt's version, and then you had uh, Jeffrey Beavers with the next two televised masters. Um, I don't. I don't know whether. Obviously, it was a different take on the master. He was desperate because he ran out of regenerations, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but at least it was a different spin on the character. But then when Ainley took over, and this is no fault of Ainley's either, um, 
it was John Nathan, so just wanted a Roger Delgado clone, um, but didn't really know how the character should really be portrayed because Delgado and Peter Pratt and also Jeffrey Beavers were not over the top pantomime. No, I mean what 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 you what what you've really lost is what we've been talking about is the the cool calm exterior in the inner rage. Yeah, exactly. So sort of the cool calm exterior is very much weakened. Yes. And the inner rage is basically there at the forefront at the slightest comment. Yeah, precisely. And the reasons for the master um appearing in Ainley's um sort of run became less and less plausible as it went on really. Um and I I I just feel sorry for Anthony Ainley. I think he's um I think he, he if he was I think he didn't want to play it like that anyway. So I think if he were, yeah. had been allowed to play it how he wanted, which if you watch Survival, that's more in line with what he wanted to do with the character. Yeah. Um I, I think we might have re- people might have remembered um his take on it a bit more fondly perhaps. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, it got less Doctor Who got less subtle as yeah. it went on. Yeah. And I'm still not quite sure that they've got it right now either. No, no. Um but the master's just now a manic madman, yeah. really. Yeah. Um whether it's John Sim or or um Michelle Gomez or Sasha Dewan, it, it's all it's manic all the time. Yeah. And you want again it needs to. I think that's why we like Delgado because again, it comes back as you said that cool exterior in a rage, and it, that's been lost. It really has. Yeah. So I think if they if they bring back the master in another incarnation, um, I'd like to see a return to that. I really would. Yeah. Hey ho, we don't make the programs, Paul. So we have to we have to get no. we have to take what we're given. <laughs> no. Yeah. Oh dear, but. Um, no, so I mean, yeah, it's um, no. I, I really enjoyed revisiting this story again. Um, I really did, and, and particularly the, the Target novel because it's it's been a long time since I read it, and and it's sort of, when when I sort of suggested this as a, as our next for our next episode, um, I think it was. I thought, yeah, we'll do it because it's the fiftieth anniversary of the Master. It was it was his inaugural story, but then as I picked up the, 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 the Target book again, I thought, hang on a minute, this was my very first Target book and it, all those memories just come come sort of rushing yeah. back. So it was a nice sort of trip down memory lane, this one. It really was. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. But, uh, maybe we, it was the last <laughs> scene cycling down the street on your tricycle. <laughs> that was yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. No, good. I mean, any 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 sort of final words, Paul, on this one? No, I mean, yeah, just that I yeah I enjoyed it immensely, and I'm glad I've read the book. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad I got the chance to revisit it again. I mean, things I can revisit at any time, but unfortunately, it's just um, we tend to re- revisit these things for the purposes of the podcast, don't we? Rather than yeah. picking up because I want to read it just to just to enjoy it, you know? Um, yeah. Not to say we don't enjoy it when we do read it, but it's always done. Um, with that ulterior sort motive, of, sort, yeah. I sort of prefer to come to it uh, having been a while mm. and see how I feel yeah. now. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Actually, the, the passage of time, I think, has been. Um, I think it's, it's been kind to this story. 
I, I, I still, I still yeah. really enjoy the hell out of it. I really do. It's, it's been kind to us. Yes, that's the. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Right. Okay. So, um, so that just about wraps up that little review and uh, sort of celebration of the of the the master and terror of the autons there. So, coming up next, we've actually got uh, another commentary episode. Um, this time, featuring special guest Martin Havel from the Bad Wolf Podcast. Um, so that's uh, coming out sort of mid um, mid February. However, when we return in March, um, that is actually going to be our 10th anniversary. Um, yes, in March this year, the Hoosie podcast is 10 years old. Um, now, I think we were playing on trying to do something special, weren't we? Um, trying to get the old gang back together. Um, the, the original trio um, of the Hoosie podcast, that's uh, myself, Paul and, and, and Tony. Um, but because we're still sitting in a lockdown, that's unlikely to happen, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So, um, so I think when we, I don't know what we're going to do next month now because I think all the, all the things we had planned, um, I've now sadly got gone out the window. Mm-hmm. So um, I think next month it will probably just be a normal, um, a, a normal episode. I think, unfortunately, and we might have to sort of put off our celebrations till later in the year. Yeah. Yeah. That's the. I think we just Pretty have to. Much. Yeah. Just postpone everything, like everyone else has had to do with all their plans. We just, yes. yeah, yeah. It'll be it'll be different if Tony was au fait with technology. Mm. Um, he isn't, so that's that. <laughs> There's yeah, nothing it's... we can do about it. Nothing. Yeah. It's not as if we can pop around his house and get him set up, is it? It's just no. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. There's nothing. Yeah, we can if, do it just to help a, if it was just a matter of we couldn't actually physically all be together. Then it'd be different, but yeah, no, it's the yeah the fact yeah. that it, yeah we can't even actually get him into a position where we can do it. No, exactly, exactly. But um, well, let's, let's only, we only only way we could do it is if is if you can do it from a car outside his house with <laughs> with a microphone on a long broomstick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because obviously what what we'd like to have done was a commentary because that's how we started out ten years ago. Um, yeah, our very first. That's all we was gonna do. <laughs> it was we we're gonna be a monthly podcast just doing commentaries. Maybe we should save a discussion for actual for our um, for for March yeah. actually. So we'll talk about. Yeah. Um, well, maybe, maybe that's what we could do, Paul. Maybe we could just get Tony in on a Skype call, um, and we'll, we'll just sort of de- sort of just to get him on in the, in our anniversary yeah. month and, and year. I think really, we'll yes. just get him back on and um, so, see if he's got any pithy insights into Doctor Who now. <laughs> <laughs> I guarantee you he hasn't changed a bit. <laughs> no. Oh dear. Okay, everybody. So um yeah, so that, that that's what's kind of coming up. I mean, March, um, yeah, it's our tenth anniversary, but we're it's still up in the air exactly what we're gonna do. We're gonna have to sort of rejig our, our original original thoughts and plans on that. So we'll, we'll um yeah. we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Hmm. Okay, everyone. So I think that just about wraps it up, Paul, doesn't it? It does. It does. It does indeed. So until next time then, it is goodbye from me, Phil. And goodbye from me, Paul. Goodbye.
Thanks for listening. If you don't want to miss a show, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, and if you have time, leave us a quick review also. You can also subscribe to us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Amazon Music, and don't forget to check out and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you want to leave us feedback, you can do this through Twitter, at who's underscore he underscore podcast, and also through the Who's He Podcast Facebook group. You can find all of these links on our website, who's hyphen he hyphen podcast.co.uk. Thank you.